Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. Welcome, everybody, to the Playing Big podcast. The guest we have today, I'm super excited, and I'll tell you why as we uh, talk through his bio. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. But the, the gentleman I'm going to introduce you to today, well, he was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Michigan, just like myself. He is a graduate with honors from Michigan State University, but that's not all. He holds a Master's of Science of Manufacturing Management, a Master's of Science in Operations Management, and a Master's of Business Administration, all from Kettering University. He is also a Six Sigma black belt, which we're going to talk about today. That's a big, big deal. He's been instrumental at an extremely high level at GE Transportation, at Ford, at Hayworth, and he's now an executive lean leader at Wabash, where the gentleman that we're having on this show today is responsible for the Wabash management system, continuous improvement in quality, and driving customer value creation. I'd like to welcome to the show with great honor my good friend, Tony Hayes. Tony, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. I also uh, have been looking forward to this too. So this this will this will be fun. Yeah, and full disclosure for everybody listening. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Tony and I go literally back to probably almost kindergarten, first grade, somewhere around in there. We're we're great friends, uh, longtime friends. Obviously, we've known each other all through grade school, junior high, high school, college, and we are still great friends today, uh, probably getting together for breakfast or lunch at least once a week or every other week. And much of what we're going to talk about today kind of stemmed from those conversations that we've had uh, around the, you know, coffee and, and lunch and dinners and breakfasts and stuff. We've also taken trips together, our families. And, uh, you know, I have to apologize to anybody who is a friend of mine, because if you're a friend of mine, um, it's not just all like conversation. We might sit around a, a table and <laughs> delve into really deep business discussions. And uh, I have napkins from restaurants sitting on my desk upstairs from, you know, multi-hour conversations where Tony has mapped out for me business concepts and lean principles and things like that. So, I mean, we've, I nerd out, we both nerd out, I think, on some of this stuff. Yeah, and that's why I've been, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So what we're going to talk about today primarily is this concept of lean. You hear lean referred to in the manufacturing space all the time. And in fact, that's your expertise is in the lean manufacturing space. But as we've talked in our, our many conversations is lean is a very deep principle. And although it's applied almost exclusively in the manufacturing space, uh, the, the principles themselves can be applied in every aspect of life. So before we dig into that, I'm going to turn it over to you and just um, give everybody kind of a deeper explanation and understanding of what lean is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is a, a, a great starting point for the conversation. Uh, you know, most of uh, maybe your listeners have heard uh, about lean manufacturing. They probably have heard about Toyota uh, and some of the other auto uh, manufacturers that adopted lean uh, many, many, many years ago. Um, and, and you said it really well. Um, I think when I think about lean, I don't think about the, uh, you know, the fancy tools or uh, some of the things that are applied as much as the principles and the thinking behind lean, right? So uh, lean is all about, uh, very simply put, right, waste, waste elimination. Um, it also identifies opportunities for obviously improvement and uh, what we sometimes refer to as a value stream, right? So uh, lean is about reducing the lead time uh, from the point at which a customer orders uh, a part or product or service uh, all all the way up until the time that they actually or the organization receives cash, right? So if you think about uh, lean as reducing and uh, improving the communication flow, information flow in that value stream, right? You ultimately are shortening shortening the time it takes for a person to get their product or service to the time that the organization collects cash, right? So that's very simply put. Uh, now that now that obviously uh, lends itself to pretty much every business, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when you think about lean, it doesn't have to just relate to manufacturing. It also relates to uh, you know other uh, enterprise type operations or service uh, uh, organizations. And I think that's the beauty of it uh, that lies therein is is not just the tools. 
it's the thinking and the behavior change that that support a good lean management system. Yeah, and this is what I've always enjoyed about our conversations around this topic. I think as I told you, I got introduced to this topic a couple decades ago. My brother was in the automotive industry and manufacturing. He introduced me to lean principles. I picked up a book called Lean Thinking by mm-hmm. Womack and somebody else. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not even in manufacturing, but I just loved the idea uh, of the value stream, which I'd love to talk about deeper, and this whole idea of waste elimination. Now, when we say the word waste, of course, uh, ideas are conjured up in people's minds. What is That's waste? Right. But what you just said, which makes the principle be able to apply nicely across all industries, even in our own lives, is this idea of delivering value to the end user, the customer. That's right. That's right. In, a, in, a, in a business, we're in business to get paid. We're in business to produce some product, deliver it to the market, and collect cash, as you said. Uh, but at the end of the day, you mentioned a couple words, which I want to go deeper on. Um, behaviors mm-hmm. and value, value add and the value stream. Can you talk about the value stream a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so value stream, uh, you know, thinking, value stream management per se, uh, definitely not a new concept. Um, the reason uh, we sometimes refer to it as a value stream uh, map in even some cases are you are mapping uh, processes. Okay, so everything, if you, if, you, if you think about it, whether it's in manufacturing or in some service industry, there's a process behind it. Uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable, a uh, hiring process, right, an appraisal process, and, and, and maybe uh, this particular case. Everything is a process, and so the value stream works to identify two, two phases of that, right? One is the current state. Uh, you, you can't know what problems you have. You can't know what you need to fix unless you understand what that current uh, state is, right? And so when you map a process, you are understanding what happens today. So then you can use that, right, to identify where you may have opportunities, whether it's in uh, uh, excess uh, waiting time or excess motion, uh, things that uh, cause you or increases lead time to the customer, right? It just elongates that whole value chain, right? So when you map your current state, right, you're looking for waste opportunities that ultimately you can remove, right? That lends you to a better future state, right? So those are the two phases I uh, was mentioning earlier, right? You have a current state and you have a future state. Now your future state condition is where you absolutely wanna go. So for instance, Right. If you're in the retail business, your goal is to uh, serve customers in the most efficient way. Uh, when they come in and they purchase their products, you want them to, to find what they're looking for. Uh, you want them to be able to get uh, their transaction completed in a timely manner so they can get on to the next thing. Right. Uh, so once you understand the current state, you can say, well, you know what? I want that transaction to take five minutes. Uh, OK. But maybe it currently it takes you 10 or 15 minutes, right? So you are looking how uh, you are going to take out 10 minutes out of that process. So ultimately you can meet this target condition or future state. Uh, and that's really the value of value stream mapping. The value stream map itself will not solve your problem. I think that's also a misnomer, right? Just because you draw a map uh, mm-hmm. and you, you, you capture what's happening in the process today doesn't mean you're going to uh, automatically solve the problem with the tool. Be some action. Right, right, right. The map is an action that leads you to uh, ultimately the problem you're going to tr- you're going to solve. Right, and so yeah. you have to use. That's why I always caution people. Uh, just like you mentioned, you read Lean Thinking a while back. You started to think about uh, all of the things that are really neat about a lean uh, management system. But a lot of people take that uh, learning. And they just grab a hold of tools, right? Mm-hmm. And they just grab things because they sound fancy, but they don't understand the thinking behind it. And that's why I always caution people. It's one thing to go uh, read and kind of understand, but just don't pull the tools out, right? So you just can't use value stream in this particular case to help you solve the problem. You have to actually think about what you're doing. Yeah, and, and, and we're going to jump all over as I hear you say things because, I, again, you're triggering a whole bunch of uh, yeah. killer stuff that I love talking about. Um, and you keep talking about these behavioral changes, <clears throat> and um, you've introduced me to 
two words, cultural enablers. Yes. Uh, because it, it, you, mm-hmm. you, you educated me that it really it starts, well, I, I guess we could say it starts at the top, right? Your leaders have to embrace. But ultimately, it starts at the bottom, from the bottom up. Can you yeah. talk about cultural enablers? Yeah, I'm gonna, I, let's, let's talk about that. I, I think this is uh, uh, something I really do want to dive into because uh, transformation, especially in a, in a lean management system, is about behavior change. Uh, and, and a lot of times, and, and most businesses are really the same, it's, it's, it's no shame really on them because like we talked about earlier, it's about profit, it's about cash generation, those types of things. Um, but a lot of organizations, uh, you know, if I think about this in, in uh, kind of a top-down scenario, uh, let's say results is at the very top of, 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 let's say, this pyramid or this model, okay? A lot of companies like to just, I want results. I want this uh, bottom line profit. I want this EBITDA. I want this um, uh, cash flow. Okay, but there's a lot of things that go underneath just the results piece, right? Mm-hmm. And this cultural enablers is at the very bottom of that, right? And, the, and those those principles that I like to talk about are uh, respect for people and leading with humility, and that enables uh, the atmosphere for people to solve problems. Okay, because I've been in atmospheres in my career over time where that atmosphere isn't really very conducive for you to solve problems because there are sometimes negative consequences for bringing up things that are unpopular. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to bring up an issue because you fear what, what, what may come next. Okay, and so in those environments, that's really the antithesis of a lean environment where behaviors and bringing problems to the surface are welcomed. Right. We, 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 we look for that. Right. Because the more problems you solve, ultimately, the better it is for the customer. Right. And, and so you can't create customer value without creating an environment where problems and, and, and solving problems is rewarded or recognized. Right. And so that culture piece, that cultural enablers piece is huge in lean management or a good lean management system. Because if you don't have that respect for people, you ultimately won't drive to those results. You just can't get results by, you know, again, just grabbing a hold of tools and thinking things will work. You won't sustain it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tell people this a lot, right? If you're going to go benchmark the best of the best, okay? Let's just say you uh, want to go to Toyota. You've heard a lot about it. You've read a lot about it. Uh, you make a trip down to Georgetown, Kentucky in this particular example. And you see some really, some really neat things, right? Uh, I've been down there many times, and but you come away from that really excited and energized, and and, and most of it is because what you see on the surface, uh, you think, you very much think you can go back to your organization and implement that same thing. But the reality of it is, is you can't see the behaviors. You can't see the culture that's behind the way they think or, the, or behind the way that they solve a problem. Um, or, or, or the, the thinking behind highlighting abnormalities in a system that allows them to solve problems within, within a certain tack time, right? So you can't, you can't see that necessarily typically in a visit, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but the culture piece is so very important. If, if, if someone asks me how much time do you spend on, uh, you know, that culture piece, it's, it's really the Pareto, you know, uh, rule there. It's 80-20. I spend 80% of my time on the culture, 20% on, on, on the tools and training and, and some of that, but more on the behaviors and the thinking, right? So it starts with the culture. Yeah. The bottom of the pyramid is where you spend the bulk of your time. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And so you mentioned it. So all, all of this lean stuff kind of was born out of the, the uh, Toyota. Taichi Ono introduced this, uh, created this whole Toyota production system, which everybody's kind of trying to model. And I know there's been adaptations to it, but... Um, so that people have an idea, an example, a real life example. I know I've read, and maybe you can confirm or deny or change, but uh, like in the Toyota production system, people on the line, and now we're talking multi-billion dollar yeah. industry, mm-hmm. and they're churning out a, a vehicle every three seconds or some some ridiculous number. Uh, the line goes down, well, that's big money. But they're actually Absolutely. encouraged, and I think I read one time uh, that that everybody is paid bonuses, even if they're small, 
in, in the Toyota production system to essentially stop the line when they find a problem. Everybody rushes in and they're, they're, they're essentially bonus to solve that problem immediately because it solves the problem downstream. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Um, you know, that's, that's what I mentioned a little mm. bit earlier. Uh, you know, if you go tour uh, and have the, the, the wonderful opportunity actually to tour Toyota and go and look at their line and, and, and hear uh, the Andon uh, signals that signal when they have problems and see uh, their quality leaders and team leaders um, swarm problems, right, after they stop the line, right? So there, there's this concept of, of Andon, which signals defects. Uh, they, they, they physically pull uh, an Andon cord that stops the line, right? So that's this concept of Judoka, which is stop and fix. Hmm. Right, because you want to stop a defect before it, it, it moves on to the next operation. Right, that that's the goal. Right, so that's this concept of stop and fix. And when you actually see that happen, uh, you are exactly right. When the line stops in an automotive plant, uh, it, it's it's just money churning. Right, uh, potential lost money. And so, uh, and this this may even be less now. But uh, when I visited Toyota, their tack time was sixty seconds, maybe a little bit less than sixty seconds. Uh, for a Camry to move from one that you know one phase of the operation to the next, so think about it, right? Every sixty seconds or so, uh, a finished vehicle is rolling off the end of the line. So with that concept, when they stop the line, the goal is to to solve that problem within that sixty second tack time. Because if they don't, uh, then they uh, will in fact affect the customer at the end of the day. So every second beyond the 60 second tag time that they don't solve this problem, it will ultimately affect the customer and then ultimately their product will be laid and so on and so forth, right? Um, and that's the, that's the beauty there that, that lies in their system is the ability and the, quite honestly, the full support that an operator can stop the line and fix a defect within that tack time, right? So that's that, op that that's that atmosphere, okay? And culture that they're creating that problems are good, right? It, it sounds funny even when you say it, problems are good, but in that yeah. environment, they really are. Yeah, ferreting out those problems because once you solve yeah. the problem, you solve it forever in essentially, essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If you, if you apply the right thinking, right? Um, and you have the right uh, subject matter experts, if you will, that can solve the problem, right? Because the team leaders in, in that particular environment are very skilled. Uh, they typically know multiple jobs. Uh, they typically also know uh, the problems that you may encounter. Uh, so they are able and equipped to solve those. Okay, now the other, the other beauty of the system is, is if they can't solve the problem within their own, uh, you know, what I would say, uh, ability to do it, then they also have the option to escalate that problem to the next level so then they can uh, get the help that they need to get the line back moving in this particular case. And I would imagine with this whole cultural enablers piece and this being a behavior issue, if something has to be escalated, as it goes up the chain, everybody knows that this isn't a, um, well, I'm busy, I'll get to it in an hour. This is stop everything, drop everything. I'm down there on the floor, That's I'm solving right. the problem. That's right, that's right. and. Um, you know, so so when you say that, right, what, you're, what you're really hitting on it, it's a full system of accountability. Okay, so think so think about that, right? At, at the grassroots level of the organization, with the team leader and the operator that's actually putting a part on a vehicle. In this case, um, they have full control uh, to solve problems within their means. And if they don't, they also can escalate that within a reasonable period of time and get the help that they need. Uh, mm -hmm. It really works uh, pretty flawlessly, but everybody from top down has that thinking, right? So, yeah. you know, you, you talk about top leadership support, absolutely paramount in the lean management system. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not the only thing that really uh, drives the system. It's everybody aligned and thinking and moving in the same direction and using the same language as it relates to problem solving. Yeah, that's that's no small task, I imagine, especially in massive organizations. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that alignment piece throughout the organization, because you need people at the top who are supporting right. it. And I'm sure you've experienced and run into where you're trying from bottom up at the top levels, like whatever you do that, your thing. That's exactly right. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'd like to say that every, every in every case, 
Uh, I've had very supportive, you know, leadership uh, over my career. Uh, I've had great leadership, and then I've had uh, leadership that isn't uh, so supportive, uh, and it makes it way more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when I think about that, I always have people ask me all the time. I don't know if this is on your question list, uh, but people are asking, "How long does it take for a lean transformation?" And I'm like, "Wow, if I had, you know, a dime and nickel for every time somebody asked me that, I'd be." Uh, very rich and maybe I wouldn't have my day job but at the same time I always think about the reason people ask that question the reason they ask that question is because they think this lean transformation somehow has some finite end yeah to it. it's quick fix right yeah if I if I do this in in three and a half years I'm gonna fully transform my organization and we're gonna be lean and people are gonna be writing books about us and whatnot uh, and the reality of it is, is it never ends Mm-hmm. And Toyota, even today, as uh, world class and respected as they are in the industry, they know that they still have opportunities to improve. And it's that thinking that they always continue to stat- uh, challenge status quo. It keeps them at the forefront. Uh, if, 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 if you feel like you've arrived already, uh, that's when you have a problem. That's right. Then you stop, right? Then you stop. Then you yeah. stop. You, you feel like you've done everything i've read all the books i you know I, I i understand how this system works and those are the organizations that typically stagnate uh and typically are also the ones that don't sustain any of the results yeah because right? it's yeah, a continuous improvement cycle well and you that's a perfect segue into this concept and it's one of the reasons that that i probably glommed onto the lean concept as well my history with japanese culture and uh eastern thinking Mm -hmm. this touches on a very big part of lean thinking which is kaizen or continuous improvement for the good uh you i've heard you say it now several times in your in your um discussion continuous improvement which is a never-ending concept whether it's whether it's us as human beings just continuously improving whether it's in our relationships whether it's in our business but can you talk about this this kaizen idea and concept and how it's implemented yeah and 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 kaizen just you know uh, loose translation obviously um, means rapid improvement and uh, but it's rapid improvement uh, in the mindset of always trying to continually improve Right, like always trying to challenge that status quo. Um, you know, so let's talk about Kaizen for for a little uh, time here. The the great part about Kaizen is it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain length of time uh, that it takes to do it. It could be uh, trying to change you from this before state to this after state, and it could be very small incremental change. Um, and I think people struggle with the concept mostly because they try to hit home runs. Right. Like I have to have this week long, two week long Kaizen and it's supposed to save X amount of money, uh, solve so many problems or worse than that. Uh, people uh, tend to say, I want to do 300 Kaizans this year. OK, that's great. I, I really appreciate you doing that. But the problem is, is that the number of Kaizans you do isn't the isn't the result you're looking for right because it's not it's not a quantitative thing it's a qualitative thing and the reason i say that is it's the quality of the Kaizen event and who you have involved the collaborative thinking the problems you solve so if you have four or five really really good uh, Kaizen activities that drive you to a different level of thinking that's way better than having 300 of them that don't really change the thinking Right. Mm-hmm. So I always challenge people. It's not the number that you do. It's the quality of the work that you do. OK, mm-hmm. but Kaizen is, is, is a mindset. Um, I always also tell people that Kaizen isn't necessarily an event because events have ends. And Kaizen is more of a, a, a way of thinking. It's it's, it's it's trying to get you to to challenge status quo and always look for ways to improve and, and, and incorporating that Kaizen thinking in everything you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between a world-class organization and one that's trying to be world-class, uh, is they understand the difference between that, right? Yeah, I love it. Um, something else that is really fascinating to me, we talked about it earlier with the, the value stream uh, discussion, is this idea with lean being a mindset as well as um, you know behavioral changes throughout the whole organization. There is a 
company side and view, but there's also an end user and customer side. Mm-hmm. So there's, I, I imagine you have discussions where you're, you're talking about lean and the benefits to the corporation, yeah. to the organization, yeah. but it is always tied into, and you said it when you were talking about uh, the, the and on cords and stopping the, the line is we are affecting the customer when That's this happens. Right. Not only is it costing the corporation money, but you said something special. We're, we're affecting the customer. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's let's go back to the earlier concept. I think we started uh, this conversation off with you know the value stream uh, discussion, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you really just break break down value strength, we are looking to improve the time uh, from again from which a, a customer places their order for a service or product to the time we collect cash. The cash is for the organization. The value is for the customer. Mm. So when you do a value stream map, if really done well, you, you do that in the eyes or the voice of the customer, right? The customer determines uh, the time at which they want the product to service, not you, not the organization, the customer. And so if the customer wants their service or their product within, let's just use Amazon. We are all used to using Amazon and we're also all used to now getting our product or service or whatever within a couple of days. If it's any more than that, we, we typically have a problem. Okay. And so, but Amazon knows, right, that the value to the customer is one, the quality in which they receive their product or service, right? You want your product in, 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 in the condition in which you asked for it, correct? But you also want it in the time frame in which you uh, uh, ordered it, right? So if it tells you two days, you want it in two days. And so their value stream in, in this particular example from a supply chain perspective is we need to supply our products to the end user, to the customer within this two-day period. Otherwise, we are not meeting the goals and the expectation in the eyes of the customer. And that's the same thing in any product or service, right, uh, that you would offer. You want to make sure you understand, right? So in, 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 in this particular case, if you're thinking about an appraisal, how long should it take? What is that future state? What is the ideal state for the end user, okay? If we, if we feel that it's, you know, it, it should take five days, is it take, does the customer want it to be five days or do we want it to be five days, right? There's a, there's a huge difference in that, right? Mm-hmm. And any, so let's say the customer does want it in five days, any day over that or any time period over that is a dissatisfier. Mm-hmm. It's a dissatisfier. And so then your goal is to let, take a look at that process and look for all points of uh, waste in that process so you can shorten that time. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the customer expects, you know, that appraisal report to be done in five days in, 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 in an example, and they actually get it in three days? That's a surprise and delight, mm-hmm. right? But but that's only because you've probably done the work, right, to understand where you can improve processes and, and are using this Kaizen mind, mindset to reduce that time, right? And so yeah. that's kind of how it all works together. But very good point and, and something very observant and astute of you to think about value in the eyes of the customer because that's because that's because that's what really matters in the end well yeah and you just said something really important that that when you're you're trying to map out that process you start from the customer that's right that's right yeah. absolutely absolutely i've done um you know hundreds of of, of events over my career and the best value stream mapping event that I ever had uh, were always ones that customer in the event. No kidding. Uh, now, Actually, now sometimes, yeah, now, now, now sometimes we just get the information uh, so we can understand what the customer expectations are. But it's a whole different ballgame when you can actually include the customer in the actual event because now you're getting real time information and feedback on what they expect. And it gives them a voice, right? Yeah. And it, it makes them human. They're actually there instead of talking about the customer or the client as this disembodied idea. Absolutely. There's an actual human being right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those, those events, uh, uh, more times than not, uh, are typically the best ones because you incorporate that voice right up front. Yeah. Okay. So you've talked about uh, like Kaizen events, but you said they're not really events because it's continuous improvements. It's really never ending. But there are actual events. 
Can you kind of describe or give an example of what one of those events might look or feel like? Yeah, and so I'm going to describe it in a couple of ways. Um, Typically, I'll say, you know, typically a Kaizen event uh, is anywhere from, you know, I'll say two to five days. Uh, I've seen them go as long as a couple of weeks. Hmm. Uh, They are comprised of, uh, you know, what I would call a cross-functional or collaborative type group. Uh, of individuals that have value and input to uh, the work that you're trying to do or the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, Typically on the front end of a Kaizen event, right, so I'm just going to describe a week, okay, so let's just do Monday through Friday in this example. Monday you come in, uh, the team starts to review and understand what problems they are working on for the week. and this is even preceded, right? So that even before Monday, you typically have four to six weeks of significant pre-work mm-hmm. to get ready for the event. So I'm going to talk about what a good event looks like, and then I'll, I'll contrast that with one that isn't so good. Okay. And so in a good event, you have four to six weeks of pre-work. So that's data gathering. Uh, that's talking to uh, key stakeholders uh, that are in the process. Uh, there's typically Gemba walks, uh, Gemba just uh, meaning the place at which uh, the work is actually being done. Uh, so like if you're doing this in a manufacturing location, there's multiple visits to the site uh, to try to understand current state, uh, the layout, uh, some of the flow uh, concerns that may be present. And so you do this over a four to six week time. You typically develop uh, teams uh, that are going to be working on the problems uh, that you're going to be concentrating on for the week. And then you come in that Monday, right? So when you come in that Monday, you are immediately starting to go to work. Mm. Okay, now the reason I say that is if I contrast that with a Kaizen event that isn't done so well, uh, typically those teams don't do that pre-work, right? Which is very important. They come in on the Monday and they, in many cases, aren't even sure what problem they're trying to solve or what projects Mm. they want to work on for the week. Okay, and so then they spend probably the first one and or two days trying to figure all of that out and doing everything that they should have done in advance. And so then they wasted, quite honestly, a couple of days of that week and they may right get their footing by the middle of the week and start to see some results. Um, But chances are uh, they don't. Right. So that kind of is the construct of uh, a Kaizen event. It's. Uh, key stakeholders uh, that are all dedicated and focused on uh, problem solving and typically reducing lead time, eliminating waste, and really, quite honestly, transforming uh, whatever um, uh, process that they're trying to improve within the week. So by then that Friday, they are actually reporting out on what their uh, situation was before and what they changed and what they transformed uh, to on that Friday. So it's okay. a really dedicated, quick burst of activity uh, that you're seeing real, true, ch- tangible results by the end of the week. Wow, okay. And and I know when in our discussions, you've talked about in, in um, like lean philosophy and in principle, the four capabilities. Yeah. One of those being leaders as teachers, yeah. which I absolutely love. I'm a teacher, I'm in a leadership position. And I love that whole concept. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, leaders as teachers. I, you know, over my career, I think I spent probably the first half of the career focusing a lot, and and I think most lean practitioners do, focusing a lot maybe just on the tools, right? Because you want to drive results, you understand them, you want to apply them uh, in real time. What I've learned um, over, over time, and now that I'm, you know, later in my career, let's just say, um, the creation of leaders that can also teach this concept is truly how you sustain, right? If, if I've created an organization and I've got some really talented folks on my team and I don't do the very best job to train other leaders in our organization to adopt these principles, uh, it always will stay in this kind of uh, localized group and you can't scale. Okay, you know, so when I when I talk about scale, it's not just scaling the tools or, or maybe even the improvements. It's scaling the thinking. It's scaling the thinking. 
Yeah. Okay, so in my current role, I get the pleasure of uh, teaching at, at, at my day job. And we have actually a Wabash Management System University that I'm very fond of that works to teach these principles to other leaders across our whole organization, right? Whether you're in engineering or HR or finance or IT and operations, of course, right? So it, it it's, it's ultimately creating other leaders that are thinking in a similar fashion to solve problems. Yeah, I think it's important to point out you're very fond of it because essentially you created it. Essentially, 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 essentially. But but a great platform, though, um, to scale thinking, right? I never thought about it uh, that way, maybe even in previous roles or uh, um, positions that I've had over time, uh, that the importance of the scale is not just the tools uh, and improvements, it's actually the thinking. And when yeah. you work on the premise or foundation of creating other leaders as teachers, so then they can teach uh, their teams and their folks, um, the, the, the scalability of that is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I imagine it would absolutely fall apart without that because yeah. they can't always bring you you know, speaking maybe of other organizations who might want to hire you, but they can't always bring somebody else in to solve all the problems. It needs to be scalable, which means you need to, well, that's the cultural enablers piece, right? It's making it spread through the organization, making it viral so that everybody adopts the mindset that we're all in this together. We're all going to solve this problem. We're going to swarm issues. We're going to raise them to the surface. We're going to celebrate you when you find a problem, all of that stuff. Yeah, I imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, there may be one day where uh, I might want to retire. I don't know. And uh, ultimately, if that happens, uh, I would feel a lot more uh, uh, comfortable if there was a uh, platform and a foundation of folks that were created to think in a way that my current team is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that thinking should live beyond. Right. Like if you just if you just take a lean tool and you try to apply it and you don't create the thinking, your ability to sustain improvements over time is very, very hard to do. Uh, and so I always tell people what you need to do is not just improve processes. You need to improve the way people think about a process. Uh, and, and, and organizations struggle with this concept a lot because they feel like people are processes and they're not, mm-hmm. right? People are not processes. And so you have to create a foundation of thinking that lives beyond just a process, okay? Because if you have a very good individual in your organization, very talented person, and then ultimately they leave and go on to the next thing and you don't have the thinking, what tends to happen? Well, it just stops because you, you've relied on that person. So it's the same thing in the lean journey or uh, from a maturity scale. Uh, organizations that create this thinking uh, typically are better equipped to sustain the improvements and way more equipped uh, to drive a level of thinking that, that, that can scale across their whole organization. Yeah, and it, I'm glad you brought up the word scale because we talk all the time in, in my coaching business and with appraisers who are typically small businesses, mm-hmm. sometimes one-person shops, we call them, sometimes three- or four-person shops. But uh, this idea of growth versus scale, growth sometimes can kill you because you're trying to, you know, you're at capacity, where scaling means getting all of your wisdom, your knowledge, and your processes out of you and into others and then transmitting that down through more people so that, right. like you said, whether whether it's somebody deciding to retire or what if it's a tragedy? What if something happens to the head person, the chief appraiser? Yeah, absolutely. Everything stops, right? Yeah. They can't take vacations. They can't, uh, you know, take a week off and, and, and go right. solve an issue That's because right. they are the person. So I think this falls probably yeah. in kind of like standardized work concept in, in lean thinking, yeah. where it's getting it out of you, standardizing it, and then moving it along. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that. I mean, foundationally, um, you know, I'll just kind of describe it this way. When I interview a person that, that would join my team, I always typically ask them a question. And one of the questions I always ask are, what are your favorite 
uh, lean concepts, uh, you know, that you kind of would pull out, right? Like if you had a tool bag and you had two or three things that uh, you kind of rely on, what would they be? Um, and so, you know, you, as you can imagine, those answers are typically all over the place. Uh, some mm -hmm. say value stream, you know, some say 5S, uh, you know, some of these other concepts. Um, but the one that I typically try to look for that I want people to talk about is standardized work. And it goes to that concept that uh, uh, people are not processes. And if you capture uh, the work in a standardized way, uh, you allow every other person that comes into that particular process to be able to do the work in the same way. Uh, and there's so, there's so much value in creating an environment where standardized work is part of the way you do business. Uh, because in the end, the standardized work creates this foundation for continuous improvement, right? It, it, it is the very foundation that creates it, right? Because if you have a standard way of doing the work, which in this definition is the most efficient way to do that work at the time, at the mm -hmm. time, then you always are able to go from that foundation and then look for improvement opportunities. Okay. So th there, yeah. there's a, a, a legend out there, probably urban legend that Taichi Ono uh, went to the floor and he was doing a gimbal walk and he saw that there was standardized work out in one of the operations. And one of the things he asked is, you know, when's the last time you updated the standard work? And he noticed that the actual paper that the standardized work was written, written on was, was actually discoloring, right? It was turning yellow. So, so the, I don't know if it's 100% true, but this is, this is, this is the, you know, kind of the, the, the legend that's out there is that he essentially was thinking at that particular time, if we're not looking for improvement opportunities, you are essentially taking money from the company because you're not looking at the most efficient way to do a process. And that's how important standardized work is, right? Once Huge. you create it, doesn't always mean that, okay, that's the last time you ever look at it. You should be looking at it on a daily basis, on a daily basis. Yeah. That, that, that j just hearing you say that something popped up in my head. I just had a shift because you're actually talking about almost like the charge is to try to break the system. Like every week, let's try to break this instead of just going, looking at it and going, Hey, things look like they're running pretty well. That's right. Don't fix it. If it ain't broke. No, right. the idea is let's try to break this. Let's find the next level of waste and let's break that so that we can fix it or in a sense find an issue that we can solve and constantly it's uh, what we would call first principles thinking break it down to its most component parts build that back up in the most efficient way but then break it down again next week that's right that's right that's right you, you said something that's very uh you know again it's, it's very astute um concept there right because the, the organizations that do what you just explained uh, and they work to fail and fail fast, right? Learn from their mistakes, uh, multi iterations, agile thinking. Uh, those are the organizations that typically are higher on the innovation curve. They're higher on the continuous improvement curve, right? Uh, because they realize the value of challenging 100% that status quo all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. And I think, uh, traditionally or less progressive companies are very comfortable uh, with hey this is running like why would we why would we even look at this uh, mm -hmm. and the companies that work to like you said almost break a process uh, in order to have something that's a lot more innovative are the ones that actually are at the top and not at the yeah. bottom yeah makes complete sense makes complete sense sounds like it's work especially as you, as you, as you, as you move yeah. down to smaller businesses, you know, these small business people are like, look, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm working all day. But that in itself is the problem. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that is the problem. If you're too busy to become more efficient when efficiency could be the exact thing that solves your problem, yeah. therein lies the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to, I wish I would have uh, thought about this before. There's an image that, that always pops in my mind. Uh, you may have seen it. Um, you know, it has a picture of, you know, for uh, prehistoric uh, 
uh, cavemen and they're pulling a cart and they all have square wheels on it. And, mm-hmm. and so they're working really hard. They're really, really busy. Uh, they're trying to do their work in the best way, the best way that they know how. And then you've got uh, one guy that's kind of standing off in the distance and he's got a wheel. Mm-hmm. And, and he's saying, hey, guys, I got an idea. Okay. And, and they, but, but they're so busy. Yeah. Okay. They don't stop to take the time to think about maybe there's a better way to do this because they're so wrapped up into what the results, right? They, 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 one, it's all they know, right? They only know what they know and they're not open enough to, to, to think that there's a new way to do something, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's just all they know. And, yeah. uh, it's so funny. I always, I use that image sometimes in, in presentations and, you know, I usually get laughs out of it. Um, there's another one that's very similar to that. And there's a guy at the front of a boat and there's guys that, that have oars and everybody on the boat is paddling, but they don't have the oars and the guys on the dock with the oars and they're like, Hey guys, uh, you might need these. And they're like, no, no, we're too busy. We're trying to hit these KPIs. We're trying to hit these results. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, um, amazing to think about. Um, and and again, as I'm hearing you say it, I'm just thinking about all the you know the businesses that I that I coach or have coached, and the big problem not just in the appraisal business, but in a lot of industries where essentially an individual started a company. They call themselves entrepreneurs and business people, mm-hmm. but really what they did is they just guaranteed themselves a job. You know, and they might be paid well and they might be doing well, but there's really very little improvement. Uh, they're always asking, how should I do this instead of who should be doing it? And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, there's very little scaling mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. when, in fact, scale could be the real answer to their problem. Yeah. And then that continuous innovation or continuous improvement That's piece. Right. That's right. Like, uh, you, you made me think about, uh, we talked a little about leaders as teachers, and you kind of mentioned four capabilities. Um, you know, I tell people a lot when you're thinking about a lean system. Um, there's a few things that you have to think about. Uh, one is, are you, are you designing processes to be sensitive to abnormalities, right? Are you designing them such that you can immediately swarm a problem when you see it? Okay. And that's kind of the first thing. And I think organizations that do that very well and create processes that are sensitive to this are able to solve problems, right? Because lean is about bringing problems to the surface. That's really the goal. So once you bring problems to the surface, you ultimately have to solve them, right? So you have to have some solving, uh, problem-solving methodology, uh, defining, measuring, analyzing, improving, control, or, or PDCA uh, type of thinking uh, to be able to swarm a problem and understand where it is immediately so you can solve it within tack time, as we talked about earlier in the Toyota example. Mm-hmm. So once you solve a problem, uh, the other thing that companies sometimes struggle with is sharing that knowledge or those lessons learned for others to, to, to benefit from, right? Mm. So yeah. developing the process to be sensitive to the problem, right? Swarming the problem. Once you solve the problem, sharing that information, right, across the system, right? Because you you know, whether we like it or not, we have a responsibility to share that information. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And so there are many times where the same issue begins to pop up in one area and the next area and the next area, because we haven't taken it upon ourselves to share that information across the system. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a big deal. So, so that's important. And then that last piece is what we talked a lot about, which is this leaders as teachers, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, it seems very easy uh, when you think about those and you break those down, but um, those concepts hold true in organizations that do that very well and they benefit from it. Is that one of the actual like documented processes after a problem's been identified, it's swarmed, it's we've come up with solutions. Is that actually part of the process to say now who do we need to share it with? Uh, yes, uh, I, you know, when you say docu- uh, formally documented, I would say the thinking is there, okay? It's a concept called Yokoten, which is uh, sharing and replicating that work across the system. Right? It's another Japanese word, of course, but uh, that idea of Yokoten and sharing and replicating those learnings across the system uh, is a part of every Kaizen. 
immediately when the Kaizen is completed at the end of the week or two weeks or however long that time frame is, uh, the goal and part of that process is to Yokuten and share and replicate those learnings across the system. Okay, so if I use a current example, if I'm at my current organization and I do a Kaizen event in one of our manufacturing locations, okay, I always tell my teams, you make sure that you share this information with folks that could benefit from it because now you're creating that learning across the system. Yeah. Right. So then it begins to scale, then it begins to multiply. Yeah, and I see the, the circle uh, kind of coming uh, coming full circle, meaning what, as I'm thinking, I'm seeing all these word clouds in my head, mm -hmm. the, the leaders as teachers concept and continuous improvement. Yeah. And that sharing piece is like the bow that ties it all together because that restarts the circle. You know, we solved, we, we identified, we solved, we celebrated, we fixed. And then if we don't share, like you said, it stops there. We're going to experience this again, maybe in a different form somewhere else in the plant Absolutely. or somewhere else in the process, but we're going to experience again, unless we share it across the organization. Absolutely. And that's that cultural enablers piece. It's the behavioral yeah. piece yeah, we've come, where it has to be kind of yeah. part of the DNA of the organization. Yeah, we've come full circle now to the very beginning when we talked about <laughs> cultural enablers. And that's, and that's why I say it's not about the tools, right? Uh, it's about the culture that you create that creates the, the atmosphere for sharing, that creates the atmosphere for true problem solving, uh, that eliminates the fear of consequence if you bring something up that may be unpopular, right? Like, so if you create that platform, that atmosphere where folks are, uh, problems are celebrated, sharing is celebrated, teaching, coaching, and mentoring are celebrated, uh, your chances of success in the lean transformation are very high. Yeah, massive. Brother, I have been once again thoroughly educated, and now I just have more questions. <laughs> uh, I, I look forward to the second, the, the part two of this discussion. Yeah, sound, sounds like we need, a, we need to schedule another breakfast soon. So Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thoroughly appreciate you. I appreciate the education. Uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, you know, as the name of the, the podcast indicates, you're playing big on a massive scale and uh, I just really appreciate you being willing to share everything with uh, with myself and the listeners. And uh, as I tell you every time after we, we have a breakfast and you scribble out some, some awesome education on a napkin, uh, I just appreciate the constant education. I, I'm learning from you all the time. So appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Right, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me and uh, great conversation and uh, looking forward to having another one in, uh, in the next few weeks here.